0: Welcome to Room for Growth, a Willow Tree podcast about growth marketing hosted by Billy Lowen and me, Billy Fisher. Whether you're an industry expert or just getting started, there's plenty of room to grow. Share this episode with your favorite coworker, follow us wherever you enjoy podcasts, and reach out if you'd like to join the show. You ready, Billy? I'm ready, Billy. Let's go. Let's fing grow. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Room for Growth. Today, we are going to switch gears just a little bit. We typically spend a lot of time on this podcast talking about data-driven marketing tactics, talking a lot about growth marketing in particular. And we tend to be really focused on like measurement, ROI, frameworks for marketing, et cetera. I am solo today. Our friend Billy Fisher could not be on the pod. So when other Billy's away, I get to play... So we are going back to something that's very near and dear to my heart, which is how to have better creative. Like I want to really dig in today with our guest who is amazing. This is the man who you can credit for campaigns like shot on the iPhone, who's worked for just some huge monumental brands being in charge of their creative. And he's now the Senior VP of Marketing and the Chief Brand Officer at GoodRx. So we're going to spend a whole bunch of time today with him really talking about how to make creative good. How do you make better campaigns? How do you make campaigns that are both truly performative in the business value that they drive, as well as just interesting and fun to watch and bring delight and joy. So we'll talk about everything from his tips on how to be more creative to how to drive creativity out of non-creative teams what's his creative process we'll really try to use this as kind of a boot camp for practical tips that others can use to become more creative to tell better stories to bring better visuals to life and and this isn't just for marketing teams of course like creativity should be spawning everywhere all business leaders need creativity in their lives to reach Their audiences or to reach their teams to help inspire and motivate. So we'll try to cross all of those different fronts. But in particular, if you are a leader who wants to be able to inspire your teams to drive more creative ideas, to bring creative ideas forward and actually get them to market, that's one of the things I find is there tends to be a gap between teams' ability to sort of brainstorm great ideas versus actually execute them or have the discernment about, is this a good creative idea? Is this a good campaign idea? Is this something that we should spend a lot of time and effort on? Or is it not? So we're going to use Simon as a sounding board today. We're going to get as much of his advice as possible and his direction. And um, he's a pretty fun guy. So I think we're going to have kind of a wild time along the way. I'm going to ask him about a couple of brands that are in a little hot water right now and what he would do if he was in charge of their brand, what kind of moves he might make. So hopefully you can join us for the whole episode. It should be a really fun one and a rockstar guest. So without further ado, here's Simon. Today's guest is Simon Castles, the Senior VP of Marketing and Chief Brand Officer at GoodRx. Simon has shared his talents with a few other notable companies, including Apple, Ring, and Amazon. Simon is also an incredibly gifted creative himself. He is behind many award-winning works for some of the most iconic brands in the world. We're looking forward to sitting down with him and learning more. So Simon, welcome to the show. So excited you are here. Before we dive in, I have a 2023 prediction, and I want to see if you agree with this prediction or not. I think that there's going to be a bit of a creative awakening this year because there's so much advent of AI happening and we have a recession, which historically produces better creative and larger campaigns that are more resonant. I'm curious if you agree, disagree, what do you think is going to be the state of big campaigns and brand this year?
1: I think I tend to agree with you. There's a a throwback to standing out and being creative and uh, producing work that engages with audiences and more and more has become relevant for marketers and brands to like connect with their audiences and build their audiences and stand out from the crowd there's a lot of space i think the move away from the move away from digital advertising trust and privacy concerns of individuals has kind of filtered out into the masses as predicted some of the uh, moves by the big tech companies to to kind of change how that's happening. I think I I, I definitely do. I also think on the AI front, certainly from my perspective as an individual, I see it today as a very empowering tool for a lot of creative people that maybe haven't been able to quite utilize their voice as well. And, uh, you know, having tools around you to create on the AI space has certainly been marvelous for me. I've been using it for for years to try and try and make sense of the rubbish that comes out of my mouth. and it, I think it'll empower people that are decisive about what they what they want. I don't think it, it empowers people that you know don't know what they want and just rely on the AI to tell them what they want so I think uh, so I, th- I think creative people generally score pretty highly in that regard so I'm excited about the year ahead, although I think we've got some turbulent times ahead.
0: Before we dive too far into current or future, I'm curious if we could start, take a step back. I want to understand a little bit of where you came from. What is the campaign that you remember seeing as a child that really inspired you? And then give us a little background. How did you get where you are in your career today? What was sort of your path?
1: I grew up in Borneo, uh, which is uh, an island in Malaysia. There was a TV ad there for Maggie Me. Which I can still remember the jingle form and I would I would sing you if uh, sing to you if I had a voice, but you know it stuck with me. And and then and then growing up in in England, you know, as an artist, the best form of expression for me was to work in the TV and video space. It was a kind of a new emerging technology at the time when I was coming through college. I, I think I worked on After Effects before it was before it was even bought by Adobe. It was koza and Video editing and you know playing around with film, we were at the kind of high period of that uh, enablement for individuals to kind of be able to contribute in a in a way to you know and use these creative tools to to express themselves. I I really wanted you know I wanted to be a painter or an artist at school, and video and film was my medium. And you know the time in England, going going back to your earlier question about standing out, great brands stood out you know and and they stood out through their advertising and. The, the creative nature of their advertising and it was a blank open canvas for these brands to you know produce ads like guinness surfer hamlet cigars tango uh, orange tango ads that uh, if you look back through the kind of annals of advertising history you'll see some of these and pirelli tires i remember produced a fantastic piece of art you know in the commercial space and and you know i could make a living out of it so i drew myself into that world and you know, ended up kind of sticking with it, so.
0: What about today? Are there any examples of big advertising campaigns or creative approaches that you find admirable and you think brands are doing extremely well?
1: Well documented that the channel diversification and being able to be across all these channels makes it far more difficult for brands to have a concise campaign that runs across every channel so you know we're getting fragmented fragmented by the channels that you're in and uh, and not ha- having that stand out big campaign uh it's it's certainly difficult today big brand i mean i i worked at apple for uh a number of years and uh i've always been a huge fan of the way that they present themselves and project themselves and the simplicity and quality of you know uh, advertising and marketing content in general how they really inform and educate customers, how they really speak to the benefit of their products. So I worked there from 2010 to 2013, launched iPads and all sorts of things like that and really, you know, helped. I think I uh, contributed in that brand to kind of help humanize some of their product offerings and product launches, but they're a big one, but that's pretty obvious. There are brands like Duolingo was a company that was kind of a funky brand that you know, has done a huge amount with very little by creating an, an amazing product, a really standout product. And, uh, you know, with with some fun, social, you know, limited budgets, they've kind of created a, you know, icon and, you know, language for themselves and, and they've driven themselves, you know, around the globe. So they've had, I don't remember their, num- their numbers, but their their user base is, is huge. And, they, and they've created a character that kind of works in, Every country, which is you know something very hard to do, if you kind of know the world we live in, there's there's language that doesn't work in different countries. I think they've done a pretty good job. So those, those would be the two two very different extremes. One spends very little on their marketing, and one spends quite a lot on their marketing, and to the same result as they get, you know, brand loyal customers, and they and they built a brand. So.
0: So many things that we can dig into based off just what you said. a Some of the challenges happening in marketing today, um, especially for leaders in marketing and brand. But I want to go to something that you hinted at at your time at Apple. Can you talk to us how you came up with the fairly iconic and infamous shot on an iPhone campaign? And for anybody who has never seen this, you absolutely have seen it. It was on billboards in times square and all over the country it was on tv commercials it was on social media just saying basically here's a beautiful image and it was shot with an iphone camera say more talk to us about how you came up with this idea how it was received and then what it felt like to be rolling it out
1: an interesting story uh and also one of the i think it's the longest ever running campaign apples ever done you know and i, and I put that down on one of my lists of achievements you know so the story behind it i can't remember the full details of which phone it was but you know we were launching a new phone maybe the 6 or the 7 you know the the product marketing team were like oh it's about the camera it's got this and they and they talked in terms of the features it had and there were and then there were other briefs as well for different parts of the phone one thing to learn about advertising is who came up with what i was the creative director in the room that pulled the idea back off the floor where it had been thrown as not a good idea. If I laid credit to anyone, it was a junior art director in, in England, a French guy uh, called Antoine, who, you know, printed out some ideas on a piece of paper and they were stuck on a wall with a thousand different ideas. Uh, they got, you know, this particular idea got pulled down uh, as not, not the direction we want to go. And I, and I was convinced it was. So I pulled it back up and kicked up a bit of a stink and, uh, and they shipped me off to uh, Apple HQ with a couple of other, people and and we, you know, try to get our heads around, you know, how we could create this and how we could use user generated content, you know, and the the creativity of people already using the iPhone to to kind of inspire and bring you know more people on board. And and we were competing with people that wanted to pitch ideas about the feature set of, you know, the the shutter release on the on the button or you know, some ISO thing or some low light thing. So, and this was the best way to really kind of simplify and show the, the range of product you could produce from the camera and inspire people to lead. So, you know, how someone comes up with something in advertising is is definitely, you know, but, but I definitely, I'll take the credit for pulling it off the floor and, and, and giving it its, its legs. You know, the campaign went on, I think, you know, I left and, you know, went on and is still being, still being done today. They took it to video. You know, I've always been a I wanted to be a photographer. I wanted to be a cinematographer when I was young. So I was super obsessed by, you know, the medium of photography and film and as a way for me to communicate. So that one was pretty close to my heart and and very proud of of what it's done and what it's gone on to do.
0: Talk about that moment where you saw this idea that had basically been dropped and you had What was it, the confidence, the discernment, the artistic background? Like, what was it that made you know it was wrong to drop that idea? Or was the problem just that how this idea had initially been pitched and talked through, like, the story arc for that was wrong, and so it didn't land very well?
1: I think if you're good at being a creative director, and and, uh, this transpires to other things that I've done in my life, not just being a creative director, but is to be a good listener, And to be able to make decisions and choose and pick things out the sky that might be like wisps of an idea and be able to dimensionalize them very, very quickly in your mind and see what they'll look like when they are in the world. And that's kind of the power of imagination. You know, my time in Amazon, I kind of saw that they had a tool to do this, and it's called the PRFAQ, where they write the release of the work as, you know, someone in media might be writing about the work. And, and it's a, it's a really, you know, I, I saw that as their way of projecting forward what the product that they were trying to build and, and, and inspiring people's imagination at its infancy. And I think, that, I think creative people have a really good ability to dimensionalize the future. So I, you know, saw this and I kind of, I guess I imagined it in, you know starting in on the apple homepage and you know going to billboards and going into tv and going into film you know again, again i was a avid filmmaker i've made movies on my iphone with my family for for years and was a photographer before that so i i kind of knew what photography inspired in its relationship with an audience and what people saw in i also studied history of art which so i so i saw sim, you know i see symbolism in everything and, and storytelling and photography, so as one as a medium in art. So I, I guess a combination of those, and going at things that people don't like, maybe going going against the grain potentially. I don't know. There's a little bit of that, a of bit of rebel rebel instinct to to not give up. I think the other thing, you know, again, if there are young aspiring people listening to this, is you know, I, I had the ability to to make things. Um, I'd learn how to, you know, work Photoshop, work After Effects, edit, you know, videos and, you know, create things. So I could take, you know, and the media, the medium at the time of, you know, ad ad agencies was storyboards and scripts. I could hopscotch a storyboard and a script by actually making and producing the content, you know, on my on my laptop. And, you know, I, I kind of actually won my first pitch at the agency by you know, chopping together a bunch of editorial stuff that I'd found to make the commercial, and then I presented that. And I said, "Well, here's here's the launch of iPad, or well, the second round of iPad." And I didn't have to get everybody to think about it and think through a, what what a pencil drawing and a script might look like. I could project them into the future by creating it. It's a good way to win jobs. I can tell you, you know, let, let, take the imagination out of it for people so they can all see what you're trying to communicate. So combination of all those things. um.
0: Yeah, I think that's such a great point and a good tip for anyone listening is if there are several ways to communicate a point, you can tell people or you can illustrate what you would actually do and you can bring it to life. Telling people what you would do has a certain strength, demonstrating how it might be done or how it's been done in the past has a strength that's greater, but just truly illustrating like what would it look like is going to have the most impact always
1: this is my interpretation why advertising agencies obsess on the on the idea behind some something there's definitely a there's definitely a correlation with selling an idea you know i totally understand selling an idea into a population and it's stronger than anything you can do is so, that you know that you have to read or research far to understand that that's the thing but selling an idea to your client is, is a big thing too and there's a couple of anecdotes that I remember from my time is a sitting in a room and trying to explain to people, my idea and looking around the room and seeing 12 different faces, all who'd imagined something completely different from what I was describing or what I had in my head. And that led me to be like, Oh, I've got to, I've got to help them here. And I remember someone on my team had gone off and pitched, uh, the director, you know, and he said the director got it immediately when the guy said it's like the locker room after the game when they were talking about all this battered equipment of the uh, of the marvel characters you know and that the title sequence was going to be made out of that you know that sim, uh imagery it was none of the images that they showed him in that case it was the it was the pulling the reference from the locker after the american, probably american football game you know this battered equipment and, and that's what s- sold the idea in Uh, and dimensionalized it for that individual of like, okay, I can see see what they're trying to project here.
0: I think marketing leaders today have such a huge challenge because if your title is CMO or chief brand officer, or you have anything at this intersection of performance and creative and quality and data in your title, it might mean that you have to have expertise in channels that you've actually never touched in data that might not have been like your core job in yeah keeping just all of your creative teams working together and having the same vision like there are so many things that fall under the bucket of marketing today and even more frequently it's starting to intersect like the entire customer experience or an in-store experience or the operations behind how customers experience a brand because that all plays into their brand imagery and like how they relate with this company I kind of feel for marketing leaders today because there's just so much complexity there. There's so much to know. There's so much to be good at. I'm curious what other challenges besides just the diversification of channel, the fact that if you come up with some brilliant and resonant campaign, you have to figure out how to translate it into tiny snippets across so many different platforms. Like what other challenges do you see among marketing
1: leaders today? Firstly, you can't be an expert at everything and you shouldn't try to be because you'll never be and you shouldn't front, you know, you shouldn't try to pretend to be. I take a very open attitude to my skill set and what I'm not good at, and there's plenty I'm not good at. I think as a C, successful leader, whatever leader, whether it's a CMO, whether you're leading a project, it, it's like choosing the right people around you if you if you get a choice, and building the right set of skills around you and empowering them and giving them the voice. You know, so that that's a talent in itself. You know, one of my very early bosses, like Nathan McGinnis, who's a fantastic creative who set up a company many years ago and. In, uh, in Santa Monica, a visual effects company, you know, his one of his great talents was to be able to choose people, talent from all around the world. and And, and that made, you know, him very famous, the work very famous, the place very famous. So, you know, and, and inspiring them and letting them do the things that they're really good at. So in the world of marketing, like you say, where there's so much to do, you have to have the right team to be able to do it, empower them, encourage them, Support them, drive them, see their see their talents. I think you have to. I think a, a big skill in that, apart from finding the right talent, is choosing what not to do and what to do. You know, and that's a that's a huge one. And I think really good instinct gives you that. And I think the one binding feature that every marketer should have is understanding the customer that they're talking to. I know, I know that's pretty cliche in, in, the, in the world of marketing, but it really is. Like the only thing that really made me successful at Ring was the fact I had good common sense, could prioritize, could build a team, and really understood the customer across America, across the world, wherever we launched, probably, you know, as well as I could. So yeah, there's there's a few things in there. I'm a big believer, because of who I am, that, you know, leading through creativity and Applying yourself to finding the best solutions for customers always leads you to the right place. That drives revenue, it drives profit, it drives customer loyalty. And wherever you are in each marketing, each bracket of a very broad set of things in marketing, getting broader and broader every day with SaaS products and, you know, life cycles and all sorts of things like this. You know, if you if you if you make that your North Star and you're good at that and you can pull the right people in, then then you can be good at, you can be really good at your job.
0: Yeah, I think those are all like great tips and points is how do you create the right team around you? How do you kind of know the strengths and weaknesses and all of the things that have to come together to create a truly good end experience for a customer? There's so much in there. I didn't even mention technology, but of course that's one of the biggest components today is what platform capabilities do you have to work with? And how will you use them, and leverage them, which is interesting? But I want to switch a little bit, especially speaking of technology, to talking about Good Rx, where you are today. Tell us about Good Rx. Who are you guys? Why are you different than your competition? And what are you doing in the world of brand?
1: Well, I could tell you why I, you know, decided to move on from ring and you know, I saw a great founder-led company here that was providing you know, benefit to millions and millions of Americans. And that this isn't just an ad advertising, they really do. It's, you know, the, the numbers are astounding. They were doing this with a very simple, single product, getting very, very broad usage across every demo across the country. It's, it's landlocked to, to America because of, you know, our healthcare system here. So, you know, I, I think I, I get my kicks these days out of you know, my, my ego is driven by providing benefit to people, not necessarily the blowing up a Range Rover on the top of Mount Kilimanjaro and doing cool, cool stuff like that. You know, so, so I saw a brand or I saw a product that was, you know, really added fantastic value to people's lives. And through my friends, through my extended family's friends or anybody I talked to, so many people had come into contact with this. And I, the opportunity for me was to try and help them build a brand that invested very little in in creative and communication they hadn't had to because they had such amazing product market fit you know and the, and the road ahead for companies that have a really great single product is you know how do you network how do you you know before competition comes before all these other, how do you how do you build you know more value into the customer for the customer how do you build revenue dif- diversification you know so I knew that they they had to build on brand and brand was a great lever for them. I could help them communicate better, help them pave the way to broader value for the customers, um, to be seen differently amongst, you know, the different people we work with, whether we're working with manufacturers, you know, on brand drug solutions or we're working with generics and pharmacies. So, so those, those are the things that drew, drew me and they, they were really good people, really amazing people that work here, just a really strong kind of core brand value internally and you know heading towards an ipo i kind of wanted to learn what it was like to be you know on the other side of an ipo from being a small startup i'd taken ring from you know three people in a garage to an amazon acquisition and 70 something people across the world in marketing and i and i wanted to but that was a you know it wasn't, they didn't go through an IPO stage. So, uh, this, was, this was a chance to kind of learn that, see on the other side of that. So, but gen- generally, good company, good people, and the fact that they needed me, you know, that I could see that they'd really not invested anything in this. So, you know, the first couple of years here, you know, we t- took it took it through an outstanding change in, in the way we communicated and our messaging and our Marcom and in our insight, building insights teams and Marcom teams and, you know, going to market in you know, far more effective ways, more efficient ways. So.
0: But that intersection of technology and healthcare—if you wanted to believe convention—could be perceived as a little boring at times. There tends to be sort of a cookie cutter way to approach brand in that space. And you have done things really differently. Can you talk about what direction you took with the GoodRx brand and how did you keep it fun?
1: Everybody wants to be entertained. No one wants a message shoved down their throat that so so i think you have i think the first port of call is you have to have to make things interesting for people it doesn't have to always be some comedy spot you know with for dr pepper you know uh i don't know why that was springing into mind but it doesn't always have to be funny it can be educational informative you have to you have to give people value like I, i believe marketing and advertising is a product that you're creating just like the product you're creating in you know hardware software service whatever you know, advertising is a product, and you, the first thing you have to do is like create engagement with them. You know, so we we came in, you know, well, I came in and, and built a team, and we decided kind of who we wanted to be and and who we were talking to. Uh, and one of the big, big difficulties of this company is its addressable market's so big. You know, you're talking to absolutely everyone, which uh, is great on on one side of the equation. On a on a com side, it's pretty difficult because you can't really you know hone your message to groups or segments of people i think in any in a chief marketing officer chief brand chief brand officer chief creative officer in a place i think a lot of what you're trying to do is keep yourself in this keep yourself on track like every piece of work that comes your way from a different creative group is going to come with a, a different flavor and a different sensibility and a new i think part of your role is and i learned this at Am- apple was you have a playground to play in you know and you can't jumping in and out of that consistency of messaging, consistency of voice, consistency of brand is a really important thing. You're the steward and guardian of that, you know, as a chief marketing officer, chief brand officer, chief creative, you know, in all these roles, chief product officer in many ways too, that you, uh, you have to kind of decide who you want to be and, and then really stick to that. And you can grow, you can develop, but it doesn't happen, you know, campaign to campaign It happens, you know, over longer periods of time. I think we decided who we wanted to be by really listening to our customers. You know, I think the first thing I did when I arrived here was like, okay, cool. I want to do. I want to listen to all the customer testimonies we ever had. I want to hear how people talk about us and and understand, you know, how they think of us. What was surprising was they didn't think about us in terms of just discounts saved. They 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 talked about the conditions we'd solve for them, and they talked about the, you know, the the kind of empowerment that we'd given them and the human benefits at, outside of just savings that we'd enabled for them. So less stress, you know, peace of mind or all, all these really genuine things. I, I felt like the other thing that I brought to this brand was kind of what I try to bring into my own life is, you know, to have my own principles projected in the brand and, and truth and telling the truth is a, is a fantastic thing for a, for just show the truth you know we, we don't have to make anything up there are millions of people saving hundreds thousands of dollars every year through through our through our services so you know it's quite simple really you just kind of tell the truth and it becomes uh, and and you and you you talk to your customers and you show your customers and people relate to those people and uh, and you try to keep it as simple as possible for people that's as honest as i can be with our with our advertising is I got very angry with someone the other day because they pulled stock images and put, um, you know, put a customer testimonial on a stock image, and I was like, uh, no, we can't do that." You know, it's got. To, we, we want to try wherever we possibly can just to show the genuine experience. So, and that helps again dimensionalize it for other customers, and they can see the value through that.
0: That's so interesting. Something that I consistently challenge marketing leaders to think about, especially in a world of automation. We see this a lot when you think about what behaviors should automate a message or w- at what moments in time might a brand want to speak to their consumers to try to change their behavior or or use a data point to inspire some kind of change in behavior. An example I think of is like a financial services brand could decide to use some really negative marketing tactics that would be super effective at driving engagement with their consumers Based on certain behaviors. So it might be things like, whoa, your spending is higher than normal this month. If you get that message, if you get that subject line in an email from a financial services brand, somebody that you work with, you are going to immediately have a heart palpitation again. Like you're going to panic just a little bit and you might click on that message and you might consume it and you might even click into the app and you might, you know, like look at your spending consumption. But ultimately, I think brands need to be really cautious when they're using any kind of like fear-based tactic or falsities and how they try to leverage, especially what people are doing in your product or how they're using your product to drive better usage. I'm curious what you think about this. Like when it's easy to flirt with tactics that play into fear, like how do you choose humanity over sort of profit in that moment?
1: My old CEO used to kind of, Tease me about the only CMO in history that didn't want to make any money. So you kind of got to look at the long term, you know. And I think in performance marketing, you know, if if you're not thinking about the whole journey of the customer and you're just measuring the impact of, you know, one click, there's lots you can do to to drive a click. And but generally, doesn't build you a loyal customer. Doesn't bring you doesn't build you the advocacy from that customer, it doesn't ingrain a message in him that you want that customer to then go and project into the world. So, you know, I kind of try to look at it long-term. I, I, I try to look at how I want to be treated by a brand So and try to respect people and not play into their fears. There was plenty we could do at Ring, you know, or being a home security company and or, or in that mold. And, you know, and what we try to do was to try and, you know, show, you know, and always, always an empowered homeowner, empowered, you know, and, and trying to show the villain. And, and in a lot of cases, we we're using actual footage, but not do it in a way that, you know, scared people, but you know, empowered them. Um, and try to try to find a little bit of a kind of lighter comedy angle. There's a lot to be worried about. I, we don't need brands, companies making people worry <laughs> worried about things as well. So.
0: Let's switch gears just a little bit. I want to make sure while we have you, we talk about your creative process and glean what we can from your leadership, particularly in how you guide teams to produce better campaigns or better creative. Talk to us about kind of like, where do you start? And then where do you take teams and how you develop their ideas? What are some of the ceremonies and rituals, meetings, touch points that you have? What's some of the homework that you might expect from your team before they show up? to any you know, different brainstorm or concepting meeting, talk us through your process.
1: You know, I've been in so many different kinds of teams. I think I've built like four or five integrated marketing teams or creative, mar- creative and marketing teams. So it really depends what resources you have to hand. I think I'll talk about one anecdote that I learned from, and it was at Apple and on, In fact, I learned a lot of of things at Apple, but this was a good one. It was, you know, we we were trying to come up with ideas for the retina display on a phone that they were launching. It was the new product feature. And, you know, the product marketing managers at at Apple were like, yeah, it's all about the retina display. It's 10 million pixels and, you know, and they were giving us all these specs and text. And we were kind of trying to come up with briefs and trying to come up with ideas and um, I think the idea that finally one was, you know, a, a person zooming out on a freckle on a kid's face and that, you know, won and was accepted by Steve Jobs at the time because it kind of really encapsulated the X million pixels and, you know, all the density and screen. And it was and it was really showing, you know, translating to customer benefit. So I think that was a long-winded way of saying I, I try to think how we can best show simply in an informative, entertaining way, you know, what the customer benefit of, of what we're trying to, you know, get people to understand. And again, different points in the journey, different mediums, you know, whether you're working in something in social, whether you're working something, you know, a TikTok influencer or a TV ad or a radio ad. If you can kind of convey that, then they start starting there, you know, the, I, I mentioned the Amazon thing, working backwards, you know, trying to get people to think about, you know what what people are going to write about their, you know, the work that they do and how they're going to write about it, and that that kind of helps you, you know, shape the shape what you create. Change my mind a lot, move things around a lot, be really annoying. I don't know, lots lots of things <laughs> like and making things. I think there's a big, the big change for me. Again, I alluded to is like, and maybe there's some narrative there around you know, your partnerships with agencies or your internal integrated teams. It's like the idea and strategy doesn't start and end on the piece of paper that you wrote it down on. It's a constant evolutionary process. And, you know, building something out of clay, you're shaping it, you know, all the time until the final product. And even when you launch the final product, you're still shaping it. So by making things, you're learning and you're... So so I'm a big... I think I really try to push people to... Make their ideas rather than just sing them, you know, and and, and show don't don't tell, you know, and, and use the tools around them that they have that are so available to all of us to kind of, you know, whether it be an architect. There was a great guy I worked with who was a set designer, and rather than talk about the set, he literally, you know, in a car park on a on a laptop, you know, built the set in SketchUp and said, "Oh, we well, like this," and I was like, "Oh, yeah, okay." that's exactly what I, you know, and, and he could on the fly build these things. And, and then we built it in real life, the set, and we changed it there. So we're constantly like I think the building process is a time to be very, very creative and understand your strategy, understand what you're trying to say and, and, and not, and not be too precious about what you went in with, but focus on what you come out with.
0: Yeah. I think that's a really, it's like a great resonant point is how often can you push teams to show their thinking? Like we used to all have math teachers who made us show our work, same as sort of true and creative, show your concept, like bring it to life as much as possible so that all 12 sets of brains in the room can be on the same page about what to expect or can pick apart the idea from a perspective that's at least somewhat aligned and unified and hypothetically make it better. All right, I have a little bit of a game for you. It's a smidge mean, But I want to ask you what you would do if you were the chief brand officer of a couple of different brands, given that at the moment they've got some challenges on their hand. So if you were at Southwest right now, and for context to listeners, we are a few weeks, about a month after holiday travel debacles that left thousands of people stranded across the country, and Southwest canceled more flights than had been canceled in history. What would you do if you're at Southwest right now?
1: I would concentrate, focus all my attention on customer service and and building, you know, better relationships. Uh, and then I'd let PR and and people try to talk about. I uh, and and realize I was in for a very long road. I, I certainly wouldn't come out with a TV ad, or, you know, uh, or anything like that. I'd really focus on customer success and rebuilding that trust.
0: You're not a big fan of the like. We're better and more improved
1: post-Fallout. I don't think that people believe, you can't just say what you want anymore in advertising. I think people are smart in that. and They need to hear it from their friends and word of mouth and experience is such a huge part of building brands. I think any, any big brand has been built by its customers. One quote from Jeff Bezos of all people that I liked was, a brand is what people say about you when you're not in the room. Which I think is pretty astute, you know, way to describe it. So, so focusing, you know, everything around making sure that customer, when you're not in the room, is saying, "Oh, I really like South Southwest amazing and I had such a great experience." Like that's going to, you know, really empower your your marketing efforts and uh, and long term.
0: All right, switch gears. You are now in charge of Twitter. What would you do at Twitter right now?
1: I remember, I remember t- talking to the chief strategist. This- Elena Hale at Apple uh, at the time, and I was there, and who, who now works for Lor- Lor- Lorraine Jobs, and she talked to me about Twitter,
0: and I was like, "Oh no, that'll
1: never catch on. That's stupid." <laughs> In 2010, how, how wrong, how wrong I was. But maybe how right. I am. Maybe, who knows? If I was to work at Twitter, I, I can't answer that one because I'm so not a Twitter fan.
0: I'm sort of with you. I'm not a big Twitter user, so I will give you a pass on that one because it's a hard one too bless Twitter. Good luck in, in what we see for me next. How about Balenciaga? That's a fun brand that, you know, at this premium intersection of sort of art and product has been in some real hot water lately. I think they're still flirting with how to be a luxury brand in a luxury space while disenfranchising so many of their potential buyers. You think that matters? Like what what would you do today?
1: How can they screw up so much? Uh, sorry. It's insanity. I think I think there's a I think everybody just tries to think art is like trying to push the boundaries as much as you can, you know, whether you're in kind of music and you're talking about like topics that are, you know, really, I think it's a, it's a way to like work on the fringes and just think. Balenciaga is a great brand. You know, they make great things, you know, they, they, they do make art, but I, I would go back to, you know, Balenciaga's roots and try to, try to build back their base there and and you know apologize <laughs> profusely for the and make sure they i think I don't, I don't know if they blame they have to take responsibility I would be very apologetic I would try to go back to my roots I would try to simplify things yeah I think the coming environment might you know play well for them in terms of getting back to your roots getting back to simplicity getting back to honesty and truth and trust and you know and, and not trying to Be so divergent from normality that you know you kind of alienate yourself. So I, you know, maybe maybe that's what I try. Can't afford to buy Balenciaga, so really, probably not a good. In in knowing my customer, I'm probably not very good at that.
0: Okay, we are running short on time, but I want to ask you just a couple of, of questions. A little bit more like quick hit here. What is either the best or the worst career advice that you have ever received?
1: Best career advice I when I was um, a guy called Eric Grumbani now works who's a ECD t- told me to listen more, which was pretty good. I thought I could prove myself by talking a lot. It was also probably the worst career advice in the way because then I just shut up and didn't say anything for a long time and just listened. And and then you got to kind of balance really listening to people and really knowing when you want to speak and when you say something, it's poignant. He says, having. Bottled on in the podcast. <laughs> so, yeah, so it's so probably best and worst, you know, fi- finding the fine line between that.
0: I love that best and worst was the same for you. My favorite question always is to invite you to talk positively about a brand that you love. What's a brand that you are truly loyal to because you enjoy their product or you think their customer experience is top notch or you resonate with their brand so strongly?
1: Stellar artoir. I think that, that that probably points to me drinking too too much lager in my life. Star what what's a brand? I tell you a funny story. When I was a kid and I lived in Asia, I flew out and they lost all my they lost all my bags. So I was coming to visit my dad, and they gave me like one hundred and twenty dollars. And they, you know, the airlines gave me one hundred and twenty dollars and said, "Here, you, you you know, go go replace all your clothes." $120 at the time was probably quite a lot of money, especially in Asia. And I went out and bought two pairs of Ralph Lauren boxer shorts and I came back to my mom and, and you know, with two pairs of boxer shorts for my entire visit. And I think that's probably when I realized that I quite like brands because I could have bought probably, you know, a huge selection of outfits, but I chose two pairs of boxer shorts. So I, I think there are old brands that I that like. You know, I'm definitely. You know, I think it's the big in the big big brands. I think Apple. You know, I think they do a fine job of you know really trying to. They have all got their intentions. Everybody's got their intentions, but I think they 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 do try hard to take to find the high path and the high ground. I like old Mercedes cars. So I guess Mercedes is a big thing for me because they build things to, or they used to build things to last. You know, so they they have that. You know, lasting quality to them they're not building the things to fall apart so you can buy a new one there's a few there stellar apple mercedes Oof.
0: a good trio to surround yourself with okay last one here what trends are you keeping an eye on are there any technologies or up-and-coming sorts of brands or just tactics that you're seeing in marketing and in brand that you want to follow
1: i think ai is good it's really interesting as we as we mentioned at the beginning you know where that goes how that empowers individuals and creatives and you know I've worked with you know map painters and you know in the film world that it's, it's you know probably you know inspire and to, to create you could create 10 different versions of a scene and and say okay which one and then you kind of hone it and edit it to what the director wants you can give people more choice quickly I think there's a incredible damage that could do as well you know especially in marketing and you know content generation and sem and search and things like that could create a nasty infinite loop but yeah so interested to see where that that's going
0: well thank you so much for your time today it has been great to hear from you and to get your perspective i know that for our listeners this isn't a topic that we get to hit on as much as just sort of like creative space for creative space we spend a lot of time talking about like measurable tactics and campaigns so, this has been super fun for me. I hope you've enjoyed it as well. And to our listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. We'll see you next week.